I want to speak to you a little bit this morning, the Lord giving me uh, the liberty, uh, when Jesus comes to town. Amen? Or the subtitle of that would be True Revival. True Revival. Um, we need to understand as we begin to start asking the Lord for an outpouring of His Spirit, what exactly that looks like and what happens when that takes place. And I think that there's a lot of things that are called revivals that are not revivals. And we need to be very careful because the devil will send a counterfeit before we send the original. And I'm not saying counterfeit in the way that he is initiating, but in the way that he allows a little bit to happen, and we think that's the whole thing. No, I'm not settling for a crumb. I want the whole cake. Hallelujah. And we've got to understand what it is we're looking for, because if we don't know what it is, we don't have the spiritual discernment to exercise, we'll think that anything that looks and smells like God is revival. See, Jesus said in Matthew 24 that in the last days, be not deceived because there will be many false Christs, right? That would even call fire down from heaven. I guarantee you that'll pack the house out, right? And those people that don't operate in discernment are going to be deceived in thinking that everything that happens in that meeting is God. And I want you to understand something very carefully, guys. Realize that the Spirit of God knows truth, and He's here to teach us and train us in all truth, isn't He? So we've got to listen to Him first and foremost. The key is for us to have discernment during this time. So there's a few things in the Scripture I want us to look at. And if you'll turn to Isaiah chapter 6, I want you to see the vision that the prophet Isaiah saw of the Lord. And in that, I think, is some keys or principles that we need to look for when God shows up or when Jesus comes to town. Amen? It says, In the year of King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and his train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings. With two covered his face, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. With one he cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now, in that passage right there is a lot of principles that we need to understand and we need to remember. But first of all, I want to ask you a question. What are people hungry for? What is the body of Christ hungry for? You know, they're not hungry for more sermons. They're not hungry for more preaching. They're not hungry for more programs. Uh, why are they going here and why are they going there? What are they looking for? I believe that they're looking for the manifest presence of God. Amen? They're looking to see, be in the presence and atmosphere of God's glory. Hallelujah. And once you've ever been there, once you've ever tasted that, you can never settle for anything less than that. Amen? Once you realize and understand there's more to it than just going to church, paying your tithe, than going home, and coming back on the Sunday evening. How many understand that a ritual is a religion? It's not a relationship. And a lot of people get into a ritual and they get so ingrained in that ritual it becomes a rut. And how many know it's hard to get out of a rut? And once they're in that rut, matter of fact, you try to get them out of it, but they're so used and so familiar to the rut that what do they do? They go back to the rut. And they find themselves going, where's God? Where's God? Well, God's the same place he's always been, but you've stayed here. The clouds moved there, and you're still walking around in circles. Amen? God said to his children, Israel, you have come past this mountain long enough. 
Amen? Constantly going in circles. People are looking and they're hungry for the manifest presence of God. They want the glory of God to come. Hallelujah? Everybody that wanted that said? Now, when we see God's presence come, a revival usually breaks out. Now, when we talk revival, when you say you revive something, that means it was once revived. It was once alive, right? So you're not reviving the lost. The lost have never been alive. The Bible says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Is that right? So when you revive something, it once was alive, but it became dead. Last Sunday, I preached on spiritual CPR, right? So when we talk about revival, something that was once dead is now being brought back to life. I say revival, one of the definitions of it would be a spiritual resuscitation of the body of Christ. Let me say that again. I might have got by you. A spiritual resuscitation of the body of Christ. Amen? You can look around and go in most churches and there's not a whole lot of life there. There's not a whole lot of life there. There's more life in Kmart, Walmart than there is in church. You can look at a lot of Christians and tell there's not a lot of life there either. Oh, they once had an experience long ago. Praise God. They'll talk to you. Oh, when I, when I came a Christian, this and that happened and God and me walked in the garden in the cool of the day and it was wonderful. You'd have never known it by looking at you now. You'd have never known it by looking at you now. I guarantee you that the priority of God and the priority of the Lord Jesus Christ that he once was is not the same today. I can see it in their faces. Man, I don't want to get what they got. They start witnessing to me. I go, ah, I want that. Lord, have mercy. No. Listen, guys. He is the life. And when you get the life, you're alive. Hallelujah. So revival is a spiritual resuscitation of the body of Christ. It's a restoration of the first love. It is a renewing of the mind and heart and spirit. It is a spiritual awakening. And I'm praying every day, God, give me the anointing to awaken your church. Give me the anointing to revive the body. Hallelujah. I'm asking God for it. You may not want it. It's okay. It's not for you. I'll take it. Hallelujah. I'm believing God for it. Praise God. Well, okay, that's what revival is, but Pastor Mike, how does it happen? Well, let me just give you a scripture in the Old Testament that kind of gives you an understanding of how it happens. How many know that God wants it? God is not willing that any should perish, but all to come to repentance. So God wants a move of his spirit. Well, who's keeping him out? We are. We keep him out with our rituals. We keep him out with our regulations. You know, we, we, we have an agenda that we've got to go by. The Holy Spirit wants to move this way, like I said this morning. The wind bloweth where it listens. It moves where it wants to, when it wants to, how it wants to, in the direction it wants to. Our job is to discern which way it's going and pick it up. Amen? Amen. How does it happen? How does revival happen? How does revival happen in our own personal life? I'm praying every day, God, revive me. You may think, well, you, you don't need revival, Pastor. Mike. Listen to me. I've tasted the glory. You hear me? I've been in I've seen the Lord. You hear what I'm talking about? And I will never be the same. And I'm going back. Hallelujah. Back to where I found him. Back to where I met him. Back to where he consumed me. Back to where he was all that I thought about. He was all that was my worth and my value. How does that happen? 2 Chronicles 7, 13, let me just read it to you. He says, if my people, which are what? Called by my name, shall one, everybody say one, humble themselves, first requirement. We got to get humble. 
God doesn't dwell with the proud. He says, I dwell with those that are lowly and contrite of heart. Jesus himself said, I am meek and lowly in heart. Did he not say that? God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Grace, unmerited favor, amen. He's not going to in any way, shape, or form hang with you or any church that's full of pride and arrogance. God, literally, will oppose you for that. We say, well, I'm not proud. Listen, your prayerlessness indicates that you're pride, prideful. Your prayerlessness says that you're self-reliant. Your prayerlessness says that you're independent of his spirit. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. It's the truth, isn't it? You can tell just by how you get on your face. Listen, when you really are humble, you go before the Lord and say, God, I can't breathe unless you help me. I can't get out of this house unless you help me. God, I can't make it another day unless you help me. Isn't that right? You know when you're humble, when you come so dependent upon him that you're asking him for every breath, for every decision. If my people, number one, humble themselves. Everybody say number two. Pray. That's it right there. There's two requirements right there. Humble themselves and pray. Humble themselves and pray. Humble themselves and pray. Now prayer isn't reminding God of something that he's forgot. Prayer is us getting in agreement with the will of God. Jesus said, pray this man. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy rule and thy reign come on earth as it is in heaven. So what we're doing is aligning ourselves with heaven, amen? We are to manifest the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. So what prayer is, is getting an agreement with God's word and God's will, hallelujah. The third one is seek. Everybody say seek. There are three requirements right there. Humble, pray, seek. What does it mean to seek? It means to ardently pursue. Ardently pursue? If I told you that I had taped a $100 bill under one of these chairs here this morning, and whoever's sitting on that chair, you can have that $100 bill. Y'all would turn this place into a barn. Right? You'd be seeking for that $100 bill, wouldn't you? Didn't Jesus say that he was the pearl of great price? See, we've got to understand that seeking is more than just a casual acquaintance. Seeking is when we pursue him like we would great treasure. Then he says another thing. Number four, turn. Everybody say turn. So now we've got four requirements. Humble, pray, seek, and turn from the wicked ways. Those are four requirements right there. Prerequisites for revival. And then it says something. Then, if I say then, then, humble, pray, seek, turn, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Let me run it by you one more time. Humble, pray, seek, turn, then hear, forgive, heal. Humble, pray, seek, turn, then hear, forgive, heal. That's how it happens. Okay, well, we kind of defined what it is. We've kind of defined how it happens. Now, what are the signs of a true revival? How can we keep from being deceived when somebody says, hey, we're having a revival here, and we're having a revival there, or there's a revival down here? How can we really honestly know when we walk into the environment that this is a move of God? Well, going back to my passage in Isaiah, the first thing he said was, I saw the Lord. All right, now. The first thing that you and I need to realize in a true revival is people see the Lord. They don't see a personality, they don't see a preacher, they don't see a program, right? They see the Lord. In the great Wells Revival, Evan Roberts, many times, 
He would come into a building. Nobody would even know that he was there. He would stand up to speak, and if he felt the Spirit of God wasn't saying anything, he'd sit right back down. Matter of fact, if they invited him to a church, and he walked into that place, and they thought the church was looking to him, he would walk out of that church, and he wouldn't preach. He wouldn't allow his picture to be taken with anybody but his family because he didn't want to touch God's glory. He wanted them to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of their faith. Amen? A man can bring it. I don't have anything. I'm just a messenger. Do you hear what I'm talking about? People see the Lord. You start saying, oh, oh brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, ooh, glory to God. Uh, it ain't about that. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. When people see the Lord, that's the first sign that God is in the house. Amen? When people see the Lord. Then he said, I saw the Lord, and he is high and lifted up. Amen? High and lifted up. High and lifted up. That means what? The Lord is exalted. Not a church. Not a program. Who? The Lord himself. Amen? He is lifted up. Praise God. It just causes my stomach to turn when I see anything but Jesus being exalted. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. It ain't about how good you can do this or how good you can do that. It's about the Lord. Amen? If we are exalting anything but him, it's not a move of God. Are you all with me? Then it said his train Fill the temple. Another sign or characteristic of revival is that his glory fills the house. When there's no one here and the chairs are empty and you walk in, there's an awesome understanding. God is here. God is here. I saw the Lord and he was high and lifted up in his train. And the angel cried, holy. That's the fourth indication or characteristic that it's a true move of God. There's a strong awareness of his presence. And let me go ahead and define his presence for you. It's holy. I said it's holy. The angels cried, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. See, they cried it. They emphasized it so loud. They couldn't yell it loud enough. They couldn't shout it loud enough. But they yielded as, as, as strong as they could. And it moved the very posts of the temple. Indication that we cannot say how awesomely holy God is. But to the best of our ability and as loud as we can proclaim it, we want to let you know he is holy. So it's an awesome awareness of God's presence. Somehow, somewhere in the room, you feel it. You can go into the bathroom and you feel it. You can get in the parking lot and you can feel it. But God has literally enveloped the place. And as a result of holiness and his presence, here's the fifth characteristic. There's a strong awareness of sin and the condition of the heart. Whew. I feel the Lord right Speaking through me. What did Isaiah do the moment he saw him and he heard it? He said, Woe, woe, woe is me. I am undone. I am an unclean man with unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of an unclean people. See, when you see God, in his holiness, and his majesty, you immediately become conscious 
of who you are because you see him as he is. And as a result, you see the, the despairing contradiction of light and darkness. And the first thing that can come out of your mouth is, oh God, save me, heal me. And that's the thing that happens. When God comes into the place, people begin to see him as he is and realize as who they are. And that's the next thing that happens. Repentance. Everybody say repentance. It's not a revival if there's no repentance. I'm talking about Christians. I'm talking about unbelievers. People coming to the altar and beginning to break with godly sorrow over their sinful condition. Beginning to say, God, I'm miserable. God, I cannot lift my head up unless you forgive me and cleanse me. God, I'm so tired of pornography. God, I'm so tired of rebellion. I'm so tired of sin. I'm so tired of alcohol. I'm so tired of these chains that are around me. Oh, Jesus, I once knew you. I once walked in freedom, but now, Lord, I, I am bound again, and I, I don't have any fire in my life. I've been in services where literally around the preaching of the word, people would cry out, Jesus saved me. Not because I was preaching. Because the Spirit of God was in the air. Do you all hear what I'm talking about today? Some of you may not understand this. It's okay. It's not for you. You can watch the train go right by you, honey. We'll wave at you as it does. It ain't for you. You can't get on this train. By the time you make up your mind to get on it, it'll be moving so fast you can't catch it. Seriously. Some people stand back and wait. Well, let's just see. When God comes in the house, honey, I ain't waiting. So repentance is a characteristic, right? When God's holiness comes, people have an awareness of who they are, and they begin to cry out as Isaiah did, I'm undone. The next thing is salvation, say amen. People getting saved. I said people getting saved. Not just in the church, but people coming home and saying what happened in the church, the glory of God falling in their house, and they getting people saved in their home. They go to their job because they've been revived and the Spirit of God rests upon them. They walk in their job, people grab them by the arm and say, I don't know what it is about you, Joe, but you're different, man. Uh, what's going on? And the moment they open the mouth, their heart begins to be stirred, hallelujah, and they say, I want what you've got because I can look in your eyes and tell something's happened. I've been to churches, but I know what you have is the real thing, amen? Salvation start happening. People start getting saved. You know, Charles Finney would walk into places and people would grab onto him and say, you convict me of my sin. And they never opened his mouth. I pray that the glory of God would rest upon our clothes. Amen. Somebody puts on our shirt. They go starting to preach. Hallelujah. Deliverance takes place. We had that happen the other day. When Jesus showed up many times in the temple, spirits would cry out, wouldn't they? What have we to do to the old son of God? Have you come to torment us before our time? When the presence of God comes, those people that have spirits, they either do one of two things. They repent or they run. You ever see people get up in the middle of a service and go out? Let me tell you what that is. Many times it's a religious spirit. And you know what it's saying? Get out of there. Get out of there now because that's an anointing on that boy and that thing will break the yoke that I've got over your life and you'll start being one of these on fire Christians. Get out of there. Your roast is burning. Get out of there. He, he's crazy. Come on, go home. The, the TV, the, the show that you want to watch is come on. Anything they can do to get you away from the anointing. Amen? It's true. I've seen it happen. 
I see the anointing of God fall. The five or six people just get up, walk out the door. Spirit that's got them bound says, get out of there, get out of there, you get out of there. Devil doesn't mind you preaching. He doesn't want the anointing. Deliverance taking place, amen? The other day, when we had a service that just was just powerful, I didn't lay hands on anybody. But someone came up to me afterward and said that they had been fighting a spirit of fear for years, most all their life. And during the service, nobody praying for them, nobody laying hands on them, got delivered from that spirit of fear that tormented them since childhood. And looking in their eyes, I could tell they were free. I could feel it in their voice. They weren't just saying it by faith. Honey, it had happened to them. That's what I'm saying. When God's presence comes in, devils leave. I've heard them shout out. Amen? And it's going to happen all around you. You just better get ready, praise God. Laying hands on somebody, cast these things out. Hallelujah. These signs shall follow them that believe. Amen? They shall cast out devils. Hallelujah. Another thing that happens when revival takes place and God's manifest glory and presence happens, people get healed. I said people get healed. Nobody laid hands on them. Nobody touched them, praise God. But the healing presence of God came into the place, and as they tapped into it, hallelujah, the sickness and disease that held them bound lifted off of them. They just walked into the glory cloud, hallelujah, and that glory cloud energized their spirit. Whatever disease or infirmity was on them came off of them, hallelujah, and they got healed. I remember a story about Smith Wigglesworth that was so powerful, talking about the presence of God. Smith Wigglesworth went to a house to pray for this man. This man had been in bed for months and months and months. He had gotten so weak that he couldn't even get up anymore. They asked Smith Wigglesworth to come and pray for the guy. He said, sure, I will. He walked in. He sees the man. He says, do you believe that God can heal you? The man couldn't even answer him. He, he didn't have any strength to even answer him. He said, if you believe that God can heal you, I want you to just lift up your little finger right here that lets me know that you believe. And he saw that little finger lift up, and it was all he needed, man. He told his wife and his sister, go get his clothes. And they said, clothes? He ain't worn clothes in months. He ain't been out of bed. What are you talking about? He said, listen, go get his clothes. Sometimes you got to be a little firm with people. Amen? They got his clothes, put him over the chair. Smith Wigglesworth said, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to pray. The glory of God's going to come in here. It's going to knock me down. It's going to heal him. I want you all to step out of the room, go in the kitchen. Smith Woolsworth began to pray. As he prayed, the glory of God fell just like he said it would. It knocked him down. This man jumps up out of bed, been sick for months and months and months, yells at the top of his lungs, I'm healed. As he's yelling, I'm healed. The glory of God from his bedroom goes down the hallway, knocks mom and sister down on the floor. Sister who had been released just recently from an insane asylum gets up in her right mind. Hallelujah. Do you hear what I'm talking about? I'm not playing. This presence that we are asking God for is what this world is hungering and crying and believing the Lord for. And we, the church, are the only ones that can attract it. Hallelujah. God will respond to our cry. He will incline to our prayer. If we are desperate enough, God will give it to us. Amen? Now, what happens many times is people get tired. 
They, they start out real well. Then they start getting tired. They don't see a manifestation of it right away. So you know what? They just kind of slack off again. Now the prayer meeting begins to dwindle down. Listen, here's what I'm asking God to do. Lord, weed out those people in our prayer meeting that are not serious. Offend them out of the place. Don't let them come back. I want agreement when we come together. Amen. I want people that are pregnant with the revival. Hallelujah. I don't want that lukewarm mess in here. Go, 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 go. Go home. Watch TV. Do whatever you do. But don't come in here and water this thing down. Seriously. One bad onion can spoil the whole spot. Do you hear me? I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm trying to be real here. But if you're pregnant with revival and it beats on the inside of you, I invite you to come at 6.30 on Wednesdays because we're crying out to God for a visitation. I said we're crying out to God for a visitation. And if you come and you're not pregnant, you probably won't come back. I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm trying to let you know this thing's serious. One more sign is signs and wonders and divers miracles of the Holy Spirit. Marie Woodworth Eder, female evangelist in the early 1800s when women were just possessions. She got up to preach one time and was transfixed in a position for three days. Three days. She stood still like a frozen statue. During those three days, people would get healed all around her. Miracles would take place. Just to show you, it wasn't her. It was God. When she would have campaigns sometimes, people would be slain in the spirit 20 miles away from the place. Well, I remember looking for one particular revival that really was supposed to be stirred up, and man, it was going hot. So I, I drove down there to see what was happening. And I couldn't find it. I get lost anyway real easy. But uh, I stopped at a gas station nearby the church that was supposed to be in that vicinity where the revival was going on. had been going on for several years. And I asked the gas station attendant. I said, uh, do you know where such and such church is in the revival? No. He didn't know. And I got back in my car and I thought, hmm, did that? Bother you like it bothered me. I'm wondering if this thing's breaking out like people are saying it is, how come the gas station attendant doesn't know about it? And guess what? He was only like about four or five blocks away from the place. The move of God that I'm believing for is going to affect the area. The glory cloud's going to envelop the city. Do you hear me? And when it does, praise God, Walmart will know about it, Target will know about it, hallelujah. Dollar store and know about it, praise God. You can knock on anybody's door. Oh, oh, you talking about that? It's right down the street there. Gospel to the Nations Church, Midland City. You won't have to look for the sign. You'll start feeling it when you get close to it. Hallelujah. The glory cloud will be there. Do you hear what I'm saying? What true revival is. There's going to be a lot of counterfeits, guys. I want you to use your discernment. Everything that says it's revival is not. If it's exalting a man instead of exalting Jesus, if repentance isn't happening, soul's not being saved, if the emphasis on uh, the person instead of the presence, it's not revival. Maybe some good meetings, but it's not revival. Not what I'm looking for. Amen?